Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. All right, welcome. Uh, Today we're continuing in our Kingdom Values series from the book of Mark, and you can follow along by using the notes in your programs. Uh, If you didn't get one, uh, just raise your hand and the ushers will be glad to get those uh, to you. We're going to pick back up in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house, again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. Who are about this? He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. Wow. This is so great. I've been so looking forward to this moment. Um, If you're our guest, uh, we teach through the Bible at Brave, which means whatever passage is up next, we teach on it. So uh, don't worry if you showed up today and you're having an affair. Going through a divorce, want to go through a divorce, uh, we're not singling you out, okay? This is our passage uh, that we're teaching on. So let's face it, not every marriage is marvelous. An 89-year-old woman was arrested for shoplifting, and when she went before the judge in Cincinnati, he asked her, well, what did you steal? And she replied, a can of peaches. And the judge asked her, well, why did you steal a can of peaches? And she replied that she was hungry. And then the judge asked her, well, how many peaches were in the can? And she replied, there were six. And so the judge said, well, then I will give you six days in jail for each of the six peaches you stole. Before the judge could actually uh, pronounce the judgment, the woman's 90-year-old husband speaks up and asks the judge if he could say something on his wife's behalf. And the judge said, well, what is it? And the husband said, she also stole a can of peas. (laughs) Just because you've been married a long time doesn't mean it's been a good one, right? Uh, Some marriages are just downright miserable, no matter how long they last. And sometimes the misery is so overwhelming 
that one or both partners decide to call it quits. And so today we're going to cover uh, why that's the absolute last resort. But because this is such an emotional topic, I just want to say this. Please do not jump to any conclusions about where we're headed uh, with this teaching this morning or even where we'll land. You may be in for some surprises along the way. Currently, 50% of first-time marriages end in divorce. Experts say it's actually more like 70% uh, because the stat of 50% is counting only one divorce. Divorce is complicated. I mean, that is an understatement. Uh, So the most loving thing that we can do is teach on the subject because there's no doubt that nearly everyone here wants to be more compassionate uh, towards one another. We want to learn, we want to be encouraged, and and we most certainly want to heal. So the kingdom value here is that marriage is for life. And so our goal at Brave is to save marriages, is to support your marriages. And we think that that life is at its best when marriages are flourishing and kids are raised in a stable environment. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But we know that many of us have not experienced the ideal. And many here, you know the pain of divorce and all that surrounds it. Some of you Uh, are divorce survivors. Uh, Some of you, it's really fresh right now, and you're trying to survive a divorce. Uh, Some of you are children of divorced parents, and you could teach us all about the impact that it's had on your life later in life as adults. Uh, Some of you are the extended family of friends who uh, have pulled on you, wanting you to choose sides as they go to war with each other and how difficult that is. And so today we're going to take a fresh look at divorce and remarriage from God's perspective. Uh, Church communities, churches generally respond to the topic of divorce and remarriage with one of two extremes. Uh, The first extreme is just a license, like We all get a divorce license, a divorce at will. Uh, If you just feel like it's not working, go ahead. God will understand. God's grace covers you. Just get a divorce. We love you. Uh, The second is legalism, the other extreme. If you get a divorce or remarried, well, we'll treat you as if something's wrong with you. You're a second-class person spiritually. You're now marked for life for the rest of your life. You're a failure. In some churches, you're actually viewed as never being able to live up to your best potential now because you've, created, you've done the unpardonable sin in their eyes, and now you're, the rest of your life is plan B because of that mistake. Brave church doesn't agree with either extreme. Neither approach is loving nor true. And so how do we handle difficult and controversial topics at Brave? Well, we follow Jesus as best we can. Jesus is our model. And in John 1, verse 14, it says the word Jesus came from the Father and that he was full of grace and full of truth. Grace heals and truth reveals. If, if you're divorced, remarried, or you're going through divorce, we want to speak words of life to you today and healing and grace to you. Uh, if you're married, we want to do everything we can to enrich and support your marriage and your family together. So we want to be uh, radically biblical and genuinely humble. And when our culture gets it wrong, or when our family members have strong feelings and opinions, or when Hollywood tries to teach us, we always want to know God's perspective first. So you can have, for example, really strong feelings about divorce, homosexuality, the end times, politics, the Antichrist, even food with GMOs, right? 
And you can have a lot of feelings about a lot of things, but that doesn't mean necessarily that your feelings are true or that they're full of grace. And so we want to look at divorce and marriage from God's perspective. But before we do, we want to just identify some unbiblical reasons to get a divorce. Things like, well, it's just so hard. Well, (laughs) welcome to marriage, right? Uh, I just fell out of love or we don't have anything in common, or we're incompatible, or they're just too difficult to live with, or they have annoying habits, you know, or uh, they gain so much weight, or the plastic surgery didn't go well, right? There's just a lot of reasons. You lost that love and feelings, or because your friends say you should, which is a really poor reason. Uh, None of those are biblical reasons to go through the pain of a divorce. We've never been more inclined in our society to stray in marriages because we live in an era where we feel that we're entitled to our desires. And so our culture thinks that, that they deserve to be happy no matter what the cost nor to whom as long as I am happy. As long as you meet my needs in the way I want you to meet my needs, well, then everything's magically okay, and that's called a good marriage if it's on my terms. So today we're going to answer three questions. One, what does the Bible say about divorce? Number two, what does the Bible say about remarriage? And then number three, where does that leave us? So because this is such an important topic, in your notes, they're listed for you, the most common passages on the subject for your own study. So let's dive in. Number one, what does the Bible say about divorce? Number one, God hates divorce. Why? Because divorce is harming to people, and God loves people. Uh, Divorce always takes something away from someone. Uh, It's harmful to the adults that are involved. It's hurtful. It's harmful to the extended family. Most in-laws do not want to be broken up from their new daughter or son-in-law. It's harmful to friendships when they feel a pressure to pick sides because you're going at war with each other. And it's most importantly harmful to the kids that are involved. Kids are not resilient. That's not true. They're vulnerable. They're children. They're innocent. And the effects of divorce on children is long-term. Why should they pay for our mistake? And so we owe owe our children a a safe, stable family uh, life to grow up in. You see, we brought them into this world. You chose uh, your mate. You chose to walk down the aisle. You faced them as an adult. You made a covenant uh, to stay in that marriage and to love that person until death do us part. And, uh, and then you decided in love to conceive a child, and you had those children. So for their sake, do everything you can to stay together. In fact, it's better to have a bad marriage and hold it together for the sake of the kids. That's not such a bad idea. It's amazing the trauma of what happens to kids in a divorce situation. Now, no matter what the public spin that's put on it, divorce hurts. It minimizes. Divorce always devalues the worth of another human being in some way or another. It says, that day that I loved you and I made that covenant to you and I knew exactly what I was doing, and then later you say to that person, you're not enough. You're not who I thought you were and you're not enough. And then it sends a message to the kids, you're not enough. You're not enough for mom and dad to work this out and to, to, to stay in this marriage. Now, before you jump to defend why you're divorced, I'll get into the reasons why divorce is sometimes necessary in a few moments. But right now, what we're talking about is why does a loving God hate divorce? It's because divorce 
tears apart families and in-laws and friendships. And even in the best of circumstances, it causes pain. It's emotionally traumatic. And the pain rarely stops after the divorce. A lot of people think, well, I'll just end this and now the pain's over. No, that's usually just the beginning. After divorce, there's this unyielding suffering that continues, particularly if there's kids involved. There's these long-term repercussions, especially when kids are involved. So the Bible does not teach that God rejects or hates anyone who's been through a divorce. Instead, the Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. So let me ask you, as a loving, caring father or a loving, caring mother, would you want or choose for, would you want your child to be hurt, devalued, traumatized, minimized, attacked, or told they're not enough? No, of course not. And neither does our loving Heavenly Father want that for you. And so God hates divorce because of what it does to your soul and the pain that it causes. In God's kingdom, marriage is for life. In Malachi chapter 2, it says, You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. The God of the angel army says, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. God sees divorce as an enemy to his people. Now, you and I, we use the word hate casually, like I hate onions and I hate the New England Patriots. <laughs> Actually, I do hate onions. And, uh, and, and the, Bible, the Bible doesn't use the word hate casually ever. Every time the word hate is used in the scripture, God's referring to an actual enemy, Satan, or the enemy uh, of our souls. And so divorce is God's enemy because its primary, it destroys its primary purpose, which is marriage, which is meant to display an unending covenant of love for all of humanity. All of us want that ideal. All of us want to fall in love with somebody, make a covenant to one another, and, and, and that represent an unending covenant of love. Now, let's be really clear. Divorce is not the unforgivable uh, sin. If you've gone through a divorce, you are so worthy of God's love and God's acceptance and God's grace and God's blessing. And I get it that you might be sitting here with just a horrific story of pain and what you've gone through in unique circumstances. And I understand that. The enemy of your souls uh, wants you to believe that you're now a marked person, that you're somehow unloved or unforgiven. And that's simply not true. In fact, in fact, we love you. We're glad you're here. We, we welcome you. We love people uh, who are divorced at Brave. Jesus lives here. Jesus loves you here. But we want to talk about what the Bible says about divorce, because on one hand, we want to help those that have gone through it to heal and be encouraged for a new beginning. And we want to encourage those who are married to have strong bonds of loving covenant, the balance of those two things. So number one, God hates divorce. Number two, Divorce involves a hardening of the heart. In Jesus' time, 
One of the positions that was held by, uh, on divorce by religious leaders was that divorce was permissible on any grounds. And the only requirement was giving what was called a certificate of dismissal. Uh, divorce had become so casual back then that a man could just dismiss his wife for trivial things like you know, burning the toast, uh, embarrassing him in front of friends. Uh, often the husband did not even give a reason. He would just give a certificate of dismissal and it was over and there was no repercussions financially at all. It was horrible. Jesus says in verse five, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. People get married for any number of reasons. Sometimes people do it for all the wrong reasons. Sometimes the circumstances leading into the marriage were all wrong to begin with. There was just a complete lack of wisdom. When divorce happens, people grow hardened in their hearts towards each other. I mean, literally, I'm a pastor. I do weddings all the time, and they're saying to each other, I love you, and they're making this incredible commitment. And then however much time later, they're saying, I can't stand to be in the same room with you. And it's like, what happened between that moment and this moment? Number three, sometimes getting a divorce is necessary. We're all broken people. We're all broken in different ways. Sometimes two people are broken in ways that leads to divorce. And the Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. I'm not saying that the list of items that I'm about to share with you are automatic reasons or grounds for divorce. That's not my place, nor anyone's place here at Brave. We don't have that kind of authority to recommend that a family or a marriage go through a divorce. What this list does reveal is that depending on the severity, sometimes divorce is necessary. Some of you have lived enough life and uh, seen some of the depths of darkness that this list can take a person to. Others tend to be naively judgmental because they simply don't understand nor have enough life experience to know the kind of evil that is present in some people. And so if you hear an item on this list, I don't want you to think, oh yeah, that's my spouse, I'm out of here. That doesn't necessarily mean you should divorce. Severity and context really matters. And God can heal anyone or anything on this list. And there are many redemptive stories of people facing overwhelming obstacles and winning over divorce. But sometimes, depending on the severity, there are reasons why divorce may become necessary. Abuse, physical, verbal, uh, mental health issues. Uh, Sometimes people find themselves married to a person who's mentally ill, and they experience some form of verbal, emotional, and physical abuse along with that. Abandonment or affliction or addiction. Uh, The Bible talks about if you come to Christ and you're believing a follower of Jesus and the other person's an unbelieving spouse and they choose to leave you, uh, you're free. Uh, Criminal acts, imprisonment, desertion, uh, extreme addictions, extreme, gambling, alcohol that can lead to different kinds of abuse, drugs that can lead to different kinds of abuse, sexual, which can lead to kinds of abuse and affairs, adultery, uh, sexual immorality, an ongoing pattern of sexual relationships with someone beside your spouse. Did you know that the majority of couples who experience the trauma of an affair choose to stay together? Today, the new shame on you is when you choose to stay 
when you could leave. You feel judged for still loving your spouse and, uh, and wanting to remain faithful to your partner. Oh, you should just leave him or her. Staying is the new kind of shame in our culture. And most couples stay together, though. Why is that? Well, sometimes that affair, that one-time incident or situation, that crisis actually creates a new level of openness and honesty in the relationship that wasn't there. And they find that their indifference that they had towards one another that led to the affair fades. They want a desire for truth and honesty and grace. Some people are, are living in marriages that are not honest. You've been married 10, 20 years. You really don't know what your husband's doing. You really don't know what your wife's doing. Uh, and sometimes a crisis will create an opportunity. The very thing that we fear, being really honest with ourselves and who we really are, can actually then give us an opportunity to recreate our best marriage ever. That you can endure a really intense season of brokenness and you don't have to divorce. And the truth can set you free. Now, there has to be two willing parties. I completely understand that. God's grace and healing is available to every marriage. So what does the Bible say about remarriage? Number one in your notes, write this down. Marriage is for life. Marriage was God's plan, not man's. And in the deepest sense, every couple that's ever been married, whether believers or not, participates in a union established by the creator himself. And it involves a unique physical and spiritual bond that reaches to the very depths of your soul. Jesus uses the word one flesh intentionally because he's highlighting marriage as the welding. It's, it's so supernatural. The, the idea that you could become one flesh. There is a welding together in your soul. And, and that's why you'll find even after divorce, it's very difficult to in some way detach from the person you're divorced from. There's a welding. They're, they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. There's the blending of, of two minds and the way that you think. There's two wills. There's two sets of emotions. There's uh, two spirits. There's two checking accounts, right? Intentionally uh, divorce someone in order. When you intentionally divorce someone in order to marry someone else, that's an adulterous act. And only you and God know if that's your intent. Oh, I think she's better. I think he's better. I'll just divorce this person so I can go marry them. That's called adultery. And it breaks the covenant between two becoming one flesh and the commitment that marriage comes with. So in God's kingdom, you do not marry unless you intend to marry for life. You don't go, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get married and, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just get a divorce. Wow, you have no idea the pain that you're in for. <laughs> and just ask anyone that's ever gone through a divorce. It is not just as simple as, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get a divorce. There's so much pain and trauma with it. Number two, if you do get a divorce and you do remarry, you're not in a state of continual adultery. Divorce ends a marriage in God's eyes. It's over. It's final through the pain uh, that was attached with it. You may continue long after that in that pain, but that ends that divorce. Therefore, any new marriage or any new covenant that follows a divorce is a legitimate marriage in the eyes of God. So maybe you're here today and you're remarried. God honors that and blesses your, your marriage and your new family. The law and the covenants of the Bible teach us that we cannot, in our own strength, 
keep any of them. And that includes adultery and all, all the whole list of anything that you can think of that you would call a sin. And that's why the cross and the resurrection is needed to save us from ourselves. And so Jesus taught in Matthew that you and I cannot fulfill the law. We cannot be perfect. We will and have made mistakes. And then Jesus says, good news, I've come to fulfill the law for you. I've come to make a way for those who sin, including adultery. What does the Bible say about remarriage? Marriage is for life. If you do remarry, you're not in a state of continual adultery. And number three, it is preferable to, uh, to immorality. First Corinthians 7 says, Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. This is Paul speaking. But if they can, cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now this is not Paul telling a single person to cast off restraint and go marry the first person that'll marry you because you're horny, right? <laughs> That's not what this is talking about. The context is this is speaking to those who were married and now they find themselves unmarried and the burning is because they formerly enjoyed a sexual relationship in the context of a married relationship. And then of course a widowed person is free to remarry. So number four, remarriage is, number four, it's never easy remarriage. Blending two families is never easy. There's an even higher rate of divorce among those who are on their second marriage. Now, that doesn't need to scare you, but it should scare you. You're going to need to work harder at selfishness because when you blend two families together on a second marriage, there's going to be a whole lot of expectations. And so you're going to have to work harder at that and keeping that covenant and really nurturing your relationship. Now, where does that leave us? Number one, divorce and remarriage are not unforgivable sins. Divorce was not God's plan for you, but he makes allowance for it. David and Bathsheba is the ultimate adulterous affair and marriage story. And yet he repented and he was used by God afterwards. The consequences of his actions remained though. Ask any divorced person, God will repair and God will restore you, but there will be scars. Number two, there is more than one plan. God can create and recreate your life anew today, over and over again. God works through all things for good. He never walks away from you. He never leaves you. You are only marked by his love. Did you know that most married couples in the course of their relationship will have two to three relationships outside of their marriage? For some of us, we've learned that God intended us to have those two to three relationships inside the same marriage, to grow, to learn, to recreate a new relationship and continue in a healthy marriage. I recommend uh, when your marriage isn't working, create a new and better one together. That'll take some work. That may take some help. You may need to seek out some help. This isn't working. Tracy and I have both been married and divorced to each other. I often talk about how marriage will either make you like Jesus or it won't. It's a choice. Anybody can be married to Jesus, right? But not everyone is, right? One of the many things that drew me to Tracy was 
her unmistakable passion for following Jesus. And I knew if she loved God wholeheartedly, that she would have enough love for me and that would sustain us. Everyone needs a higher power, a greater authority in their marriage to anchor the relationship within a larger narrative more important than individual happiness. Every one of us need the Holy, Holy Spirit saying, you know what, you're being selfish right now. You know, right now, your expectations, those are way off the charts unrealistic. You're like killing your relationship. Every one of us need that Holy Spirit to check us and say, there is a higher authority. I may not want to hear it from my spouse, but I need to be willing to hear it from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the great in the kingdom is a servant to all. That begins in your home. That doesn't mean, oh, great, my husband's got to serve me, or oh, great, my wife's got to serve me. It means that's the spirit of your home serving one another. And so our lives connect to their ultimate purpose when we're all pursuing together a reason for existence that's greater than serving ourselves and our own personal happiness. Endeavoring to live like Jesus in your marriage has given Tracy and I timeless principles to live by. Our values are based on ancient traditions found in the scriptures that have been proven over the testing of time. Both Tracy and I are submitted to living out our kingdom values. That's provided a foundation that served us really well. So whenever we face challenges and conflicts, now one of the most powerful lessons that I learned in 33 years of marriage came at the most trying time a time when it seemed like quitting was the only way to get through our pain. Divorce was a word that we promised that we would never use. We still don't. But naturally, it lurked in the back of your mind. There is a real enemy that will frequently suggest divorce to you when things get difficult. In 2005, at at the end of a very long, trying, difficult year, Tracy and I uh, discovered the power of forgiveness in communion. In a 12-month period, uh, I was, uh, along with pastoring a very large church, I was overseeing a multi-million dollar downtown historic theater renovation. Uh, We were adding onto our house 1,200 square feet. Uh, The two projects, those two projects, in addition to that, all of a sudden out on our church property, we had 20 acres on a freeway, with a small lake, and we had an earthen berm or dam that was 300 feet long, it started to leak. And if the berm were to break within minutes, thousands of homes in Sun City development would be flooded all the way clear to the other freeway. That was a lot of stress and pressure, like how are we going to get this fixed? And it was over $300,000 of just unplanned expenses. So all of that's going on, theater, renovation, Our home's in the middle of a major rehaul, uh, overhaul. And in the midst of that, we paused for a 20-year anniversary getaway. And Tracy was experiencing unusual symptoms on the trip, so we returned home early. She had an MRI. We waited for the doctor to come in, and then we were informed that she had MS, multiple sclerosis, which was a complete shock. We didn't even know what that meant. And we were already uh, spiritually, if you think of three wells, Spiritually, this well was empty. Emotionally, this well was empty. And physically, this well was empty. We had nothing to draw from, no emotional reserves. 80% of all marriages, when a spouse is diagnosed with MS, ends in divorce. Eight out of 10. 80% of marriages that have a disabled or special needs child end in divorce. 
I think that puts us at 160% risk. <laughs> With all that going on, we were like two drowning people that had been you know, out at sea for nearly a year, parched. New Year's Eve comes around, holiday filled with joy, hope. Man, next year's going to be better. But man, we were exhausted and weary, and there was no joy in our hearts. Instead, we laid there that night wondering what kind of future we might even have, if any. And Tracy and I desperately needed each other, but we had no personal strength to give to one another. And that's when Tracy came up with the idea of us divorcing and ending our current marriage as we knew it, and then starting over. So she said, what if we were to forgive each other, receive communion tonight, and then start a brand new marriage in the morning? So with every ounce of faith and hope we had left, we received communion together, we prayed a simple prayer of forgiveness, and in doing so, we each gave God all of our expectations. And we decided that when we woke up in the next morning, we made an agreement and a covenant that we were going to be different people in this marriage. We're going to create a new marriage, and we would have a different lens of expectation. Instead of expecting things from one another, we would refuse to expect things from one another, and we would give our expectations to God. So we woke up the next morning in a new marriage. And we started all over. And uh, every time one of us had an expectation inside, you should this, you ought this, you should this, you ought that, we gave that to God. We gave our expectations to him. And it worked. Okay, you're not happy for us, but uh, (laughs) thank you. We're now in our second marriage. And it's great. Now, where does that leave us? Number one, divorce and remarriage are not unforgivable sins. Two, there is more than one plan. And lastly, number three, you're one decision away from receiving forgiveness, restoration, and a new beginning. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You can't undo what has already been done in your life, but you can begin again. Today can be a new beginning for you. In Romans 12, verse 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do your part. You can't control the other person, but you can behave with integrity. You can have a Christ-like heart and attitude in your marriage. A lot of little digs bury a marriage. Most couples fight over stupid things that don't matter. They literally, through selfishness, wear each other down to the point that there's no love in the marriage because neither one is mature enough to be like Jesus. Keep the kids first. No spousal bashing, though you may want to. Keep a long-term view in mind and pray for your children. Repent over and over again. Release, forgive, over and over again. Your spiritual and emotional well-being depend on that. And know that God is a God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and so on. And then walk into your future with new wisdom. Walk into your future with new wisdom and new faith. What makes a fresh start possible? You know, what makes a comeback possible for you after coming out of 
divorce or into a new relationship. It's the hope that we have in the power of the resurrection that Jesus died and that your marriage may have died, but Jesus came back to life and the resurrecting power of Jesus lives in you. And so the first step towards peace in your life is making peace with God. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind just to close your eyes and I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if this prayer resonates with you, you can make this your prayer as well. Dear Lord, I, I know I've done things that are wrong. I know there's things I could have done better. Please forgive me for my sins. I invite Jesus Christ into my life as my Savior and Lord. I ask you to save me from the effects of my sins. I receive you as the center of my life. I give you control of it. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. As we enter into worship in a few moments, um, if you'd like prayer, our prayer team is going to be available for you over here. We've listed a lot of resources for you at the end of the program notes, but some of you are feeling the effects of divorce. Man, we want to pray with you. We love you. Uh, Get involved in a home church. Let's walk through life together and support one another. Life's messy, but we can do this together. And love covers a multitude of sin and mistakes in all of our lives. But today is about declaring a new beginning because some of you are remarried and you have beautiful families. You need to rejoice in that. Some of you are going through a painful divorce, but you need to know there's going to come a, a comeback's coming. And God's going to work through that. And if you're single, be so wise. Be so careful in entering into your relationships. Um, and let's, let's declare what God is doing in us and through us today. So would you stand? And we're going to enjoy this great song. It's called Made New. And that's our heart today. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.